Hi, my name is Ali Sternberg. Welcome back to Crossing Paths, a podcast coming to you from Madrid, Spain, which is where I moved in February of 2019 from New York City, along with my wife and our mini poodle. We're here because my wife is attending culinary school, and this podcast is an opportunity for me to do something that I really enjoy, which is meeting other people from all walks of life who are also living away from home, away from their culture, away from their norms. This is it. We made it to episode 10, the final episode of the season. I'd like to thank all the guests who have been part of this. It's been enjoyable and interesting and and very fun for me to hear your stories, learn about your lives, your careers, your passions. I also want to thank you, the people who are listening, and to those who have given feedback or sent me a text or an email or a WhatsApp saying that you like the episode. It really does mean a lot to me. For today's episode, I had originally wanted to answer questions and talk about my experience this year in Spain, but I ended up meeting uh, Tamara Cohen, who I thought would be the perfect guest to end the season on. Tamara is from Philadelphia, but she came to Spain and followed her mother's footsteps to become a Spanish citizen. We talk all about that process of the law of return for descendants of Sephardic Jews kicked out during the Inquisition. Uh, we talk about tracing her own Sephardic ancestry, the Hebrew language, uh, Hebrew Spanish language of Ladino. We also talk uh, about the development of Tamara's business, from making pumpkin pies and bagels in her toaster oven in her apartment to a newly opened New York-style bagel shop in Madrid. As always, I hope you enjoy. Well, welcome, welcome to the podcast. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Absolutely. We met a little while ago at the winter event from Valentina, our first guest on the podcast. So it's all come. It's a full circle situation coming together. I remember here. I was stuffing potato chips into <laughs> my mouth and you introduced yourself. Yeah. I was like, should I, should I eat some of those? Or? Yeah. There's a lot of interesting things that I'd love to talk to you about. The first is... You came to Spain as a U.S. citizen, and you are still here as both a U.S. citizen and a Spanish citizen, and I would love for you to take us through how that happened. So, yes, that's correct. I came to Spain to teach English through the Auxiliar program, and I came in 2015, planning to stay for only nine months, for a year. And at the time, my mom, when I came, my mom was applying to become a Spanish citizen through the law of return. And I thought, okay, I'll apply through that as well. And what it's it is... It's the law of the trace, please. <laughs> yeah. So what it is, is it's a law that lasted... It was supposed to last for three years and ended up lasting for four years that was supposed to um, allow people from around the world who have Sephardic ancestors to come back to Spain because of the Inquisition. They were kicked out of Spain um, if you were Sephardic. And so this law was an invitation to become a Spanish citizen and return to your roots. So under this law, there's some special things like you don't need to give up your original passport. Mm -hmm. You don't need to live in Spain. You don't need to have ever lived in Spain. You don't need to be Jewish. Um, You don't need to be Jewish? No. Oh, I thought that was the main thing. (laughs) You don't need to be Jewish. Actually, a lot, I think most of the people who are applying around the world are not Jewish because they've lost that over time. Their family converted um, when they left Spain or before leaving Spain, and they've lost that uh, since then. But people, all you need to be able to do is prove that you are Sephardic or that you have Sephardic history, and that's the hard part. But Mm. luckily, I was, my mom actually was able to do it fairly easily because there was good documentation and so my mom was applying and I thought 
why not? Um, I'll, I, at the time, I didn't, I wasn't planning to stay here, uh-huh. and so I started applying right when I moved here in 2015. You have to do a few exams. You have to sign papers with a notary. You have to um, take the DELE A2 exam. That's a, the Spanish language exam. Spanish language, yes, but right. it's the pretty basic one. Uh, you have to do a history and culture exam, but that one is kind of a joke because all of the questions are online with the answers as well. Oh, so you can memorize it. So you can memorize it. Okay. I mean, I tried really hard to study and learn the information, but the actual exam is the same questions as what's posted online. And you have to do all that. You sign with a notary, and then a couple years later, you kind of you get a result. I was lucky that they said it would take up to a year to hear a result after signing papers with the notary, and it was 11 months and two weeks, 11 and a half months later, and I heard back, and now I have a passport and wow. and a DNI. It's like your Spanish ID, uh, yeah. your national ID card. Yeah. So I have all those official papers. So. You just did it because your mom was doing it, and you thought, why not? Might as well help me if I want to stay in Spain. Yeah, I thought it would be a cool thing to have. It would be great to be able to, if I want to stay, to be able to get a different kind of job in Madrid because the the auxiliar struggle is trying to find a way to stay in Spain and not teach English. Uh-huh. And so I, in the back of my mind, to have a European passport and be able to get a different job, why not do it? And knowing that it was only a three-year law... It wasn't like, okay, I'll do it later and later and later, never do it. This was something that I knew I should start now. And in the end, it did take, from the time I started to the time I got the passport, it was a little over three years. So it did take a while to get it. So that law no longer exists. So yeah. it, was, it was a window of time that you could become uh, a citizen through Sephardic groups. I didn't know that because I, I have a friend of mine, uh, his father is going through it. I think he just got Spanish citizenship mm-hmm. recently. But that's that's pretty crazy. So how did you? How were you able to trace your Sephardic heritage? My mom, um, since my mom was about six months ahead of me in the process, proving that she was my mom and mm-hmm. she got the certificate. You need to get a certificate from the Jewish Federation here in Madrid. Uh-huh. I think there are other ways you can do it as well, but that's the normal route and to get this certificate they say yes you are Sephardic and you have to give them as many documents as you can birth certificates Mm. death certificates just anything to prove that your family has Sephardic lineage and once you prove that they give you this certificate saying that they say you are Sephardic and you give that to your notary and your notary Uh includes it in your application and since my mom was able to get the certificate I just had to prove that she was my mom. All right, it's easier for you. Easier for She me. did the hard lifting for she you. She did it for, yeah, she did all the hard work, and yeah. I was able to get it relatively quickly. How far back did you go in terms of, like, grandparents, great-grandparents, great-great-grandparents? I At least grandparents, possibly great-grandparents. She was able to um, show death certificate. She was able to show that my family is buried in Sephardic cemeteries. Yeah. Um, attendance of... Going to be belonging to Sephardic synagogues uh-huh. in Cuba, okay. so different things like that. And when at the time that we applied, the Jewish Federation would you submit information, anything you have, and they would say that's not enough. Do you have anything else? And you just keep, okay. you keep digging going. and submit as much as you can. But I hear now that while we were able to submit things and they would respond 24 or 48 hours later, now they're not responding. It's no, There's like, such a backup. Yeah, oh, wow. Yeah, a lot of people are going for it. A lot of people from around the world applied. So your mom is from Cuba? My mom is from Cuba. So. And then uh, grandparents, grandparents? Are from Turkey. Turkey. So from Spain, they, we believe our family's from Toledo. They went to 
what is now Turkey. Uh-huh. And then from Turkey, they went to Cuba. But they went to Cuba because they wanted to go to the United States. And the United States had caps on how many people they were accepting. So right. they went to Cuba to wait to be able to go to the United States. Oh, and when wow. they got to Cuba, they settled there because they spoke the same language. Because yeah. my family spoke Ladino. So it's a mix of, of Hebrew and Spanish. And so when they got to Cuba, they understood people and they thought, okay, this is home. And then they eventually moved to the that's U.S. so interesting. So my mom went when she was nine years old to the U.S. And that's how we were able to, yeah, that's really cool. to get it. So now my brother's in the process as well. He, oh, nice. He applied just last year because they extended it for a year. So okay. it's be a three-year law. They did an extension for one more year, and now it's done. But a lot of people applied. That's really cool. And I forgot about, I feel like I want to know more about Ladino because it's a, that's such an interesting mixture of languages. Mm-hmm. That's my, the, been the big, biggest interesting thing for me in Spain is like learning about the, the mixture. Obviously the whole world is entirely mixed, but it's super interesting to, to hear that history, especially because there's a lot of Spanish people here who are just like, hundred percent. I'm Spanish. I'm Spanish. And uh-huh. I want to be like, I don't know. Yeah. I don't know if that's true. <laughs> yeah. People come from all over the place and right. they think that they're one way and realizing that they're totally different. Like with the Sephardic law that people are now realizing that my family, you know, growing up, we did these weird things that I never understood. We never ate pork or we I don't know, lit candles. Sometimes my grandmother lit candles on Fridays and I didn't know what it was for. And realizing now that that might be what it was because when they, when people left Spain, a lot of them had converted to Catholicism because they were forced to and maybe practice Judaism in in like behind the, in their homes. And then, but over time they lost the Jewish part and became Catholic. Right. And those just traditions maybe just kind of remained as like a family thing. Yeah. Three generations later, it's like, yeah, we just do this thing, but also we're Catholic. Yeah. That's so crazy. Yeah. Uh, and you're from Philly. Yes. Originally. From Cheltenham. So it's a little, right outside of Philadelphia. It's always the, there's always the right outside of Philadelphia, like Jersey people, and there's uh-huh. right outside of Philadelphia, Pennsylvania people. I don't totally know where those borders are. But yeah. Close by. Yeah. But when I say I'm from Philadelphia and then people are like, me too. And then I'm like, well, I'm not really from yeah. inside Philadelphia, right outside in the suburbs. So you moved to Spain, teaching English. Mm-hmm. You got your citizenship, yes, and you started making uh, bagels and pumpkin pies in your home. Is that correct? <laughs> I know the story, but I have to, I have to ask yeah. you in that particular way. Good. Uh, <laughs> so I don't know what the word is. Transition right into that. Um, yeah. So I came in 2015 to teach English. I was. I had never been to Europe. Never been to Spain. Never been to Europe. And was planning to stay for just a year. Why did you decide to go to Spain in that first place? After graduating college, I wanted to go somewhere where I would be able to travel mm-hmm. and learn Spanish. Because while my mom is Cuban, we grew up speaking English. I grew up listening to Spanish. Mm-hmm. My grandmother, my mom's side of the family, a lot of them didn't speak English. But going, if I look back now, I have no idea how we communicated. Yeah. Of course <laughs> we did, but I spoke in English and they spoke Spanish. So I wanted to go somewhere where I could really learn Spanish. And I wanted to go somewhere where I would feel comfortable living on my own, traveling on my own if I wanted to. And so I think I asked my mom to help me, you know, uh, find a program where maybe I could work to earn money and be able to travel. Mm. And she found this program with CIEE and we, I applied and got in 
and so I decided... CIEE has a Madrid program? They have a program in Spain, and in Spain, they will place you in Madrid. There was nothing in Barcelona or anything Uh like that, so that decided it for me. I knew I didn't want to be in a small town, and applying through CIEE, I was guaranteed a spot in Madrid. So that's what I did, and I stayed for the first year, and then I switched to the ministry for the second year, which means doing it directly through the government, applying directly through the government. And I did that a second year, and then during that second year, I guess it was in 2016, I I needed a pumpkin pie. I remember the moment. I was on the bus uh, coming home from a private class, and I was thinking about that Thanksgiving was coming up, and where are we going to get a pumpkin pie? Uh-huh. And so I Googled, or I looked on Facebook for pumpkin pies, and there was nothing available. I looked in the auxiliar page, and there was nothing available, but I saw older posts for people selling them, like mm. from five or ten years ago. And so I I was like, okay, well, I'll just make my own pie. And I made a pie in our toaster oven <laughs> in my apartment, and it came out really well. And I was like, I could sell these. I could be that the new person for this year doing that. So I took a picture. The picture's still on my website, on my original website, I think. And it's a picture of a piece of pie with mayo on it instead of whipped cream. And yeah. you can't tell it looks like whipped cream. <laughs> and I posted them on the auxiliary page. And Why did you put mayo on it? Because I wanted whipped cream in the photo and didn't oh, have I see. whipped cream. I got one. I got one. <laughs> you were like, well, that like, sounds disgusting. Like, mm. No, no, it's a, it looks like a dollop of whipped cream. I see. And so I posted it on my, I posted on Facebook on the auxiliary page saying that I would be selling them. And that first year I got 35 orders for pumpkin pies to be made in my toaster oven. <laughs> my roommates hated me, Yeah. but I did it for the entire week of Thanksgiving. Um, I was getting up at four in the morning and going to bed at midnight or one in the morning, just making pies. Had you made people. pies for Thanksgiving beforehand? No. It was just like, oh, I think this is something could be fun yeah. and maybe I could be the fill the niche of yeah, the pumpkin exactly. pie. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. So that's what I did and I was blown away by the response and people really liked them. And so the, for the following year, I made a website because the first year I was taking people's orders through Facebook chat and mm. that was a big mess of all yeah. these messages. So the second year I made a website and I made 60 something pies and so it was a lot better. But after Thanksgiving, I was like, well, what do I sell now? Cookies and cakes and, mm. you know, and you can get that anywhere. So, again, thinking, I really could go for a bagel. Where am I going to get a bagel? And realizing that there's no good bagels in Madrid, I made my own, found the website, I think, in the New York um, New York Times newspaper, yeah. like a recipe from there online, made some bagels, and I thought they came out really well. Yeah. And I put them on my website. And I gave in the toaster oven again. In the toaster, okay. boil, boiled in like a little pot for one bagel at a time, and yeah. then made in the toaster oven. And I put them on my website, and I was giving them to friends and to people to try. And I gave a few of them to a guy in my Spanish class because he asked to buy some. Mm. So I gave him a few, and he posted in the um, Eat Out Madrid group uh-huh. that is Valentina's group. Yep. He posted on there saying that these were the best bagels he's ever had in Europe. And nice. like from there, it kind of took off. Yeah, I'm sure. I that's a big uh, people went nuts. Yeah, yeah I mean not nuts when I look back now, but at the time I was like, oh my gosh, this is huge. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so he posted that, and from there, my website, which was Bruja's Bakery, became basically a bagel website. And I, in between all of that, I moved to an apartment that now had that had a bigger oven, mm-hmm. had a bigger stove. You saw this as like a, an actual opportunity, and so you need to invest in a yeah. apartment that can help you do that. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Not the, the toaster oven. Yeah. Although the toaster oven really worked well. Yeah. Um, and so 
That was in my second year as an auxiliar. And then the third year, I was, te- I, I, instead of being, um, I was an auxiliar and I was teaching English on VIP Kid online, teaching mm-hmm. English to kids in China. So I had the auxiliar job, the VIP Kid job, and doing the bagels on the side. And then somewhere in there, the VIP Kid thing went out the door, mm-hmm. the, um, the bagel part of it became like a bigger part of my job. And I started, and so by the fourth year, which is last year, I guess, yeah, last year, I was not an auxiliar anymore. Mm-hmm. I was going to school at night to learn how to open a business because I knew that this was something that could be big and something that I really wanted to do. And so I did that from 5 to 8 p.m. And then my full-time job was was making bagels and selling them to people. And the business was growing and growing. What, what was the, the course that you took? It was at the Cámara de Comercio, so the Chamber of Commerce in Madrid. And it was a course on... Um, management in hospitality but it was basically how to open a restaurant and it had everything from the marketing finances the um the judicial part of it decoration of your place designing the kitchen how to menu engineering everything Mm. so it was really really great and going into it there's no tests or anything and there were no tests there was no papers that we had to do the only thing to get a grade and to pass was at the end you had to do a final project Uh so you had to create a restaurant and do all of you know the judicial part the numbers part everything and like the full business plan exactly and present it at mm-hmm. the end of the year in front of all of our teachers because we had different teachers depending on the subject which was right. great so the lawyers taught us the ju- judicial part people who owned restaurants taught us about the menu engineering That's awesome it was really great but at the beginning of the year i was like we would have days where we just to work on our projects and i would sit at the computer and be like I don't know what I'm doing. I'm not actually going to open anything. Like, yeah. I want to, but this is just an idea. This is just, like to help your current business yeah. that you have online uh, making bagels and Yeah, things. exactly. And you did this course in English or Spanish? It was in Spanish. Okay. But I remember, like, in the beginning being like, this is, I mean, I can invent a restaurant that yeah. I'm going to open, but by the end of the course, it was a real thing that I was planning to do. Um, my boyfriend, Luis, and I, over the course of a year, spent hours and hours, mostly him actually, um, <laughs> looking for places that we would actually open a bagel cafe and and doing actual research. So it went the transi- transition from saying that this is an invented thing that I'm making up a project and not really going to do this to actually doing it happened over the course of from October to June, which is really cool. That's really cool. I imagine the part of the that course is to get you to that point, even if you like don't realize it. That yeah. they're like by the end of this, you're going to probably want to and have all the ability to to open a place. Exactly, and I saw that with a lot of my classmates. And so. You started to put into action this actual. What would you even? What would you call it? It's not a pastelería, but it kind of is. Yeah, it's a. Um, it's a bagel shop. It's a bagel it's shop. A, it's yeah, like, yeah. It gets a um, bagel. We make all of the bagels there. We and then you can have sandwiches and coffees and all of that. But yeah, not exactly a bakery pastelería. Right. I wouldn't call it a bakery, but exactly I was like, a cafe either. It's yeah. kind of a split between the it's two. It's a bagel shop. Yeah. It's here a bagel for me shop. here, I was like. I wonder what the Spanish people refer to your shop as. Yeah, I don't. I don't, <laughs> I don't know if you've thought about that. Uh, so before it was Brujas Bakery, and which was online, and you're delivering, or people are picking up from uh, your apartment. Yeah, ninety-five percent of people were picking up from us. Um, 
they they only had the address of the building and I would go downstairs yeah. and for the first year my portero the door guy would like he would say hello to me and give me kind of weird looks yeah. like like what am I dealing out of the apartment and then by the end like they knew to expect me coming up and down the steps over the course of the day or the elevator um, giving people bags of random right. random like, things they had no plastic idea. bag yeah. with some stuff in it that nobody knows what's yeah, going and on someone's here. handing me money yeah so I did that for um, from there for over a year about a year and a half and at the same time we were looking for places all over Madrid I really wanted to be in the center of Madrid because so many of my customers are Americans mm-hmm. But then I also realized that I had Spanish customers that would normally come by car and uh-huh. being in the center of Madrid could be a problem for people that were going to be coming by car and that I right. didn't want to lose those Spanish people. So we found a place near Alonso Cano and at first I hated it, but now I really why, why like you, Why did you hate it? I, we had, Luis and I, Luis is my boyfriend, we were um, just kind of like at the end of our ropes, you know, looking for places. Right falling in love with it, doing a lot of research, having multiple meetings about a place because there's so much that goes into opening a shop in Madrid, so much, like way more than you ever think there would be. And you spend all this time when you find a place and you love it and then you realize it's not going to work. And so we... He, what do you mean by what what type of things are you thinking about when you're looking for for a place? You have to look at the you have to go to the agencia de actividades is like the activity oh, you mean like, agency. Like red tape. Yeah, like make sure that the place doesn't have problems. Mm-hmm. Make sure that the people who left the place that you're you're looking into haven't left any issues that you're going to have to clean right. up. Right. Um, you need to make sure that what you plan to do, you're allowed to do there. All different things. These all require different types of meetings mm-hmm. and all of that. So. Luis saw this place on Idealista, the website for finding apartments and yeah. shops. And we I didn't like the area where it was because it wasn't close enough to the center. It's a little it's near Gregorio Marignon, Alonso Cano, Rio Sorosa, so it's a little bit out of the center, more of a Spanish area, and I wanted to be definitely, if not in the center, closer to the yeah. center. And so we went to see it. And the shop itself is full of brick and yeah. wood, and at first, and it was at night when we saw it. And I was like, absolutely not. <laughs> it's horrible. It looks like the inside of a garage. And so we left and didn't really. We looked at it and never really talked about it. And then three weeks later, we said, like, we're desperate. Let's go back and look at it again. And we turned on all the lights this mm. time and and started just imagining what it could be. And from there, we we had a couple meetings and we took it. It took, and then took about two and a half months to get it up and running. You opened in January. We opened in January, yes. So tomorrow, well, from the time that we're recording this, yeah. tomorrow is our one month anniversary of being open. That's Thank so you. Cool. Uh, for people listening at home, I've I've been one time to. Uh, it's called Mazel now. Yeah. It was formerly formerly her company, the Brewhouse Bakery, and now Mazel mm-hmm. is this, the ba- the bagel shop. And it's very cool. I like the brick. I went home and I was like, it's a pretty cool place. The brick I like a lot. Yeah, that's what everyone says. Yeah. It's that we've added those lights that are in there. We added the, you know, the display case has green on it, so it has some color. And I think we've given it a nice homey feel. Yeah. Versus before it was very cold and, you know, white lights all inside. Mm. So I like how it's turned out. It was cool to see also people sitting in there. And enjoying their bagels. Mm -hmm. Because I was there to, like, pick up. And I think a lot of people think of, like, picking up bagels. But people were in there sitting and enjoying the space, which was really cool. And I will say the bagels are delicious. 
Thank you. You make some very, very good bagels. So Thank you. If anyone is coming to Madrid soon and needs their bagel fix, I will recommend it. And when a New Yorker says it, yeah. it's like the ultimate compliment yeah. that we can receive. <laughs> when people come in to order bagels, I know when they're from New York, when they have their order down to a T. They're like, I'll have... Plain bagel, to- lightly toasted with cream cheese, yeah, salmon, yeah. and red onions. That's it. Wrapped up to go. Yeah. I'm like, whoa, 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 whoa. Hold on. Let yeah. me write this down. New Yorkers know that We know bagels. exactly what we want and with how. our bagels, how it is. And we have the whole sentence memorized yes. and we're ready to go. <laughs> yeah. What's been your biggest thing you've learned in the in one month of actually having a physical store? Like, What's what's the difference for you in terms of this place as, as opposed to when you were delivering and having people come pick up? People keep asking me that. I think that having a business, you know it's going to be hard. Like having this shop, I knew it would be hard, but it's a lot harder in a lot of ways than I expected. It's physically demanding. I'm on my feet for 15 hours a day sometimes, mm. um, seven, six days a week, and even on my day off, which is today, I still go and make dough and or check on the dough that for the bagels that we've made and just make sure everything's okay. Um, it's mentally demanding. You're always thinking about, the, I have to do this, I have to do that. And oftentimes I find myself, well, I walk into the kitchen and I say, I came in here to do something and I don't know what it is, but now I'm going to go do that other thing that I just thought about I need to do. So it's a lot of keeping track of things, the orders, the people that are working, the everything and people come in all the time to try to sell things to us so it's, oh yeah yeah i did not expect that people what come are they in, trying to sell you magazines newspapers do we want to work with this company do we want to sell this type of beer so it's um and i'm not the most not aggressive person i don't know what the word would be but i'm not the greatest at saying no mm-hmm. so my new thing has been i just tell people i work there and Okay, um, when yeah. I, the boss is never here, so yeah. you'll have to come back never, basically. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> the and boss then, is away. Yeah, the boss is away, like always. <laughs> she lives in the U.S. Mm. Um, and then there's, and then it's also emotionally draining sometimes as well because I I told someone that it's kind of like having I think it's kind of like having a new baby where it's you put like your heart and soul into it and you're exhausted yeah and but people give you their opinions about (laughs) things and they tell you how it's not going to grow if you don't do this or it's like not going to go well if you don't do that and it's all out of love and care but you're like i'm doing the best i can right you're like i didn't ask for your unsolicited (laughs) opinion as much as like i understand if you're a lovely person glad you're trying to help but so it's been i mean it's gotten a lot better we've learned to do things faster i've have an incredible to-do list system so mm. that I don't, because of the first week I was forgetting to do things, forgetting people's orders. So now I'm a lot more organized. Um, and I was type A before, but now I'm like type A, A, A. I saw you when you, when I, when I went on this weekend to pick up some bagels, you were like furiously writing something down in a notebook. And I was like, oh my God, she, I'm not going to say anything for a second. <laughs> Let her get that down. The number of notebooks we have in oh, there is insane. And people that work with us know that like, the orders go here. If someone calls, it goes there. So we have to be very organized. But when I was doing it um, with Bruja's Bakery, that was also hard because I, since I worked for myself, I could I didn't really have any set work hours. I could just mm. work until I fell asleep, and I was working a lot. And also, while I had a system where people had to order at least thirty six hours in advance, I was not very good about saying no. Right. So people, oh, can I have? 12 bagels for tomorrow. The dough has to be made the day before. So I'd be like, um, fine. Yeah, Yeah. like I don't have anything I have to do tonight. So that was hard because I felt like I was working all the time. Whereas this, when we're closed, we're closed. Mm. When we're open, we're open. Right. Even though it is a lot of hours. But you used to have that like set 
Yes, time. set time. And not being able to take naps in the middle of the day like I used to, that <laughs> yes, has yes, been yes, an the time adjustment. Is over for yeah. you. you could close between two and four, but I guess probably doesn't no, we get not worth it not worth it um once i which is a spanish thing by the way i'm yes. not suggesting you just like immediately <laughs> close for be, two hours it would be very very spanish when the people come in to ask um you know when we're open they're like but you don't close in the middle of the day yeah. for your nap yeah. <laughs> i really wish i could but i think i'll get to that point that i can get back to my yeah. napping system <laughs> and you have a couple people working there for you yeah yeah, so it depends on the day, but we have people because I could not do it on my own. I'm there yeah. alone a few days a week, and I, it's hard to balance. You're making things in the kitchen. Make I try to get the dough for the next day done over the course of the day so I don't have to do it at night. But when someone walks in, the dough is time-sensitive. So I'm like, right. that dough has been sitting there for 45 minutes, and it's huge, rising, and I can't get to it. So having people help is key. Hmm. It really is. Is there any piece of advice that you would give to people, uh, expats, uh, living in Madrid who want to open uh, a business? Oh, let's see. I would say, um, do your research first, do a course, read as much as you can online, um, and have a support system. Doing it on your own is like, I don't think it's possible. I wouldn't be possible for me. So you need a partner, but you need someone that you trust and that works just as hard as you do because when you're this tired and when you work this hard, things get frustrating. So you need people that you can count on to help you and that are going to work as hard as you do. And just do your research because there are so many um, issues that you can come across that you want to know about them before you hit it. But it's rewarding and it's fun. And I don't think I can ever have a boss again. Yeah. <laughs> I've gotten used to this. Right. So if, it's some, if you're passionate about it, you can, there's a way to make it work. And just to, to end on this, why the name Mazel? Mazel. So it's Mazel. Mazel. Yeah, you, you need the, uh, the list for a little I'm bit. I'm saying like Mazel Tov. Mazel Tov, yeah. <laughs> so that's actually where it comes from. Um, so like Mazel Tov is M-A-Z-E-L, and mm-hmm. Mazel means luck or lucky in Hebrew. Mm-hmm. But Masal or Mazal is the um, Sephardic pronunciation. So it's M-A-Z-A-L with an accent on the A. Uh-huh. That's the pronunciation um, in Spanish. And so my mom suggested the name because while I like the name Bruja's Bakery, what it, what it was before, I never liked that name as, a, as an actual physical shop, for a mm. physical shop. I liked it as an online thing, but for a physical place, I wanted something that had a little more meaning and that was special and that was short, easy to remember, and sounded nice to people who didn't recognize the word. But if you did recognize the word as like a Hebrew uh-huh. word, then you would know. Like if you know, you know, and right. if you don't, it sounds nice. It sounds nice. nice. Exactly. Yeah, so I put in our family group chat, like I'm looking for a name, and everyone was throwing out ideas, and my mom suggested the name. Oh, that's so awesome. that, and as soon as I saw it, I knew that that's what I was going to name it. So, Tamara, thank you so much for, for joining me today. Thank you for having me. This was fun. It was awesome. Once again, thank you so much for listening to today's episode and to episodes throughout the season. I've really loved working on the podcast over the past year. From the moment we arrived in Spain, I started 
thinking about it, thinking about the people I wanted to interview, the logo, the name, the music. It was a very, very fun process and an awesome way for me to integrate myself into Madrid, meet new people. I ended up learning a lot about other people. I ended up learning a lot about myself and the types of projects I'm interested in. So stay tuned for a new season coming in the future. But for right now, hasta luego.